Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, December 24th. Happy Christmas Eve. I think that's what you say to people on the eve, of course, of another fantastic holiday season. We hope all of you listeners are getting the opportunity to spend some time with your family, enjoy some time away from work, enjoy some time doing the things that you love to do. Of course, we hope all of you are staying safe, staying healthy, and we at Crack Rackets wish you a healthy and Merry Christmas. But of course, just because it's Christmas time doesn't mean analysis of the tennis world ceases. There has been so much fantastic action on court over the course of this 2021. We've tried to break most of it down over the past month. We've talked about our ATP and WTA superstars. We've highlighted those players that have broken out on the challenger level. I even had the opportunity to speak with Stefan Kozlov, Holger Rune over these past couple of weeks. If you've missed those podcast episodes, you can find them on our website, crackrackets.com. But of course, what is the subject most near and dear to our hearts? It will always be college tennis. And look, as of recording this, we are less than a month away from the first dual match of the 2022 season. It is crazy to say that fact out loud, but folks, we are inching there slowly but surely closer and closer to the start of another exciting season. And With that in mind, to help amp all of you up for the 2022 college tennis season, of course, we've done our college contender series. We've reached number five, I want to say. I think our number six episodes have been released, so we're halfway there. You know the teams that may stand out the most here in the 2022 season. I'm trying to speak with every Power 5 tennis coach as well. You can find all of those interviews over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. But of course, a subject we have discussed a bunch on both our GSP episodes and with the various coaches we've spoken to is the plethora of pro success we've seen this fall from collegians competing on the pro tour and look 
Part of that may be a byproduct of the fact that there are just more ITF events now on college campuses than ever before. Part of that may be a byproduct of the depth we see in college tennis. Certainly coach after coach after coach speaks about how the depth in the sport has never been better. But maybe, just maybe, we've got a couple of standout performers right now competing in the collegiate ranks. Players we should keep our eyes on as they begin their transition to the Pro Tour. Of course, on today's episode, we want to break down all of that collegiate success on the pro circuit. Talk about the collegians who stood out the most, the teams that stood out the most this fall. And if you're going to do that, there's only one man you can bring on the show to help you do so. Of course, you know him as returning champion here on our Crack Rackets podcast, the writer and founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog. Of course, you may also know his work from our website, CrackRackets.com. He doesn't know who the Beatles are. We love him nevertheless. Of course, it is my friend John J. Parsons. Jay, welcome to the mini break podcast debut. How are you doing today, my friend? Well, I was doing well until you threw me under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I should clarify. I know who the Beatles are. I couldn't. I couldn't name all of the Beatles. Yeah, that's a that's a very important distinction. I don't um, know. Can you sing? Like, if I was like, "Help," would you be like, "I need somebody help"? Like, Nat, you're like, "Okay, I got I'm, the song." I'm familiar with that song. So if I said like, <laughs> "Shake it up, baby," now, "Shake it up, baby." What would you be doing? Running scared. Twist and shout? <laughs> oh my gosh, we are going to have to do a full cultural digest. We'll, we'll get to it. That'll be my Christmas gift to you. I'll send you the best of the Beatles. But no, again, the reason I wanted to have you on the show today specifically as well, of course, is you wrote all about the Collegians and the success they had on the fall for the No Ad, No Problem blog. Of course, it's called Collegians on the U.S. Pro Circuit. Fall recap. I appreciate. I think it's, do you know who Rob Smigel, the comedian, is? Anyways, even if you don't, he used to say, look, why are you hiding a joke in the title of a joke set, whatever it is. Just tell the people what you're reading. I love your title. It's literally, look, here's the collegians <laughs> on the U.S. Pro Circuit. Here's the success they had. I mean, obviously, it was a hell of a fall for the collegians. Yeah, and there's probably more caveats in there that we <laughs> should we should establish up front because I did have some DMs uh, once this was released. But yes, so uh, we are looking at September through December success mm-hmm. in U.S. Pro events. Um, so uh, up front, one glaring omission, Liam Draxel, who you recently had on the podcast, uh, won two back-to-back 15Ks in Cancun, Mexico. Mm-hmm. That would be a result that is unfortunately not captured here. Um, so I focus on just the U.S. events. So want to get that caveat out of the way, as well as um, just main draw singles. So ton of collegians in qualifying, limited to main draw singles event. So with those caveats out of the way, Yes, a ton of success uh, on the fall. And one of the things that was really interesting to me is, you know, as we started kind of going through this fall season, both with the college and on the pro side, it had been a while since we had had a full fall season, right? We didn't really have a full fall season 2020. Certainly there were not many pro events, if any. It's kind of been since 2019. And at the time, back in September, I forgot how difficult it was to follow the fall whether that be the college results or the pro circuit results. Um, And so as I started kind of looking through the draws and the ITF website, there was no good way to just capture like who's playing this week, how are they doing? Mm -hmm. Um, That didn't exist and still doesn't exist for just like pure college results. And so I was like, all right, if I'm doing this on my own and kind of perusing like who's having good success, might as well document it. 
And so that kind of snowballed into by the end of we'll call it this fall, I had a full <laughs> host of uh, you know results that I thought was was interesting enough to kind of recap out. And so if no one followed the fall results, we're here to kind of walk you through the recap of what happened. No, I love that. And again, we you mentioned it there, and we'll go through all these caveats. But this is just the U.S. Pro Circuit, correct? Yeah. These are just futures events that happened in the United States and. I mean, if you've listened to any of our Power 5 series interviews, you will hear me talk to all of these coaches about, well, what is the most efficient usage of the fall? How do you ensure that all of these college players are best prepared for the dual match season, but also best prepared for their personal development? Is you know playing a hybrid college pro schedule the best way to prepare these players? Is playing a team you know hidden dual match the best way to prepare these players? That's the sort of thing we're trying to explore here at Cracked Racket. So again, your topic here... No ad, no problem. Go read it. Collegians on the U.S. Pro Circuit Fall Recap. It's, you know, again, it's right up our alley. That's why we wanted to have you on the show today. And, you know, let's just start with the basics here. Again, and you sort of mentioned it, and I'm the thing, I miss Chris Halliorce's tab on his website. It's just down right yeah. now, but he used to have all of the Collegians men and women who are currently in the top 1,000 of the ATP or WTA singles and doubles rankings. I think he did at one point. We don't have that right now up. We will ensure that Chris gets that up by the time the season starts. But again, you look this fall, and I know this is something we talked about on a previous podcast, and it's really difficult to compare because you'd have to go manually through all of the tournaments in 2020, in 2019, in 2018. That said, it did feel like there was a pronounced, I suppose, amount of college tennis success. Now, was it an outlier? I'm not sure. It's difficult to tell year over year, but it felt like there were a bunch of players across a bunch of different levels, uh, you know, different levels of college tennis, not different levels of the pro circuit, but different events, whatever it may be, that experienced success this fall, Jay. And even before we get into the nitty gritty, again, big picture here, thousand yards out view, did you feel that as well as you looked through? Were there names and schools and just players? You're like, I didn't even realize they played a Futures event. It turned out they won three matches. Like the Stetson stat you posted, to me, like that epitomizes it. Yeah, um, and they're one of many um, non-Power 5. I think for me it was a very um, educational process, sure. right, to go through a draw. And, of course, I could pick out um, the, the Kingsleys, the Navarros of the world, um, but I tried to do my due diligence on, on anyone who was in a draw, and then all of a sudden you saw repeats, and you're like, nope, I know you have no college ties, versus like, yes, I know uh, you're on the Virginia Tech roster. Um, but I think big picture, I did try and go back to get some level of comparison, and we talked about how, how difficult that is, but back in 2019, which is obviously the best comparison, uh, pre-pandemic, there were 18 ITF events in the fall during this same time period on college campuses. This time around, there were 14 events on college campuses. And so to me, I think that's a really encouraging stat because there's two things clearly at play. One, we are still in the pandemic. And two, when I was looking back at those 2019 series, that was the Oracle Pro series, mm-hmm. right? And so we're, we're po- we're currently in the pandemic, but we're post the Oracle world. Um, and so it was an encouraging sign to me to see that we were still bringing these events on campus, despite maybe not having that financial backing that has been there historically to bring these events to campus. So that was the big picture takeaway for me was just the prevalence of these. Um, and then just with that comes success. 
Um, so kind of the big picture stat that I have there in the article is that about a little over half of the um, the events that we're talking about today were hosted on college campuses, but collegians did about 70% of their winning from those events. So that's kind of big picture, kind of why this matters and, and kind of the pro results that collegians can have when you bring these events to campus. Yeah, no, and we'll go big picture here, and I'm giving away the stats. I apologize. I'm not going to give away too many because I really do want to encourage people to go read this. Again, no ad, no problem blog, but you literally lay it out. Headline right away. Tournaments played. Men played 20 different events here in the fall at the uh, state side. Women played 15 different events. 47 men's schools participated. 38 women's schools participated. 121 players on the men's side, 69 on the women's side. 180 victories for the men. Again, I'm sure it's not every guy got one win throughout the course of time, but that is a it's a healthy amount of victories, certainly in you know, again, 69 women compete. They earn 76 victories overall. Again, let's let's just start broadly here and go school by school. And I know you break this down in your article at length, but let's start on the, on the men's side. You know, give me your biggest winners. You know, what schools, what players were, were doing the – was there anyone who stood out like they are doing the majority of the winning or was it pretty well dispersed? Yeah, I mean, um, Ohio State and Cannon Kingsley, you'll see frequently throughout this article, um, Ohio State had the most wins overall as a school, and that came from all all men. Yeah. Um, so they actually didn't have uh, women competing in, in the main draw, and Cannon Kingsley won the most main draw matches of, of any collegian uh, at 15. And so Ohio State had 25, and Cannon had 15. Um and I forget the exact stat off the top of my head. You can check it out in the article. But essentially, the majority of those remaining 10 all came at their Columbus 25K. Sure. So that's kind of like the the aggregation of like the takeaway is that Ohio State had a ton of success in part because Cannon had a ton of success this fall. But then also you look at someone like J.J. Tracy, that's four wins making the final of their 25K, right? That's going to be a a heavy contribution. So you do see themes throughout. Ohio State was number one. The other school I would call out um, just in terms of their success, it's similar to Ohio State's, is Texas Tech. Mm -hmm. Texas Tech was the only school that hosted a men's and women's event. Mm -hmm. And so with that comes, um, comes a lot of winning. Uh, and so those two schools um, stick out to me because they hosted these events. And oftentimes, if you're going to host events, you're often going to see victories there. So you start to see a correlation between that. Yeah, no, I, I wish I had this article before we recorded our Ohio State-themed episode because we already did them in our college contenders' men's side of the series. And you just talked about all the success they had in the collegiate side. You know, Votzel and Cash, 14-0 and this fall in doubles. Trotter and, and uh, Boulay not far off that 14-0 and mark, but they were finalists uh, at the ITA All-American, finalists in the backdraw of the ITA Fall Nats, and then, you know, again, Tracy, quarterfinals of both events. He also has this big pro success as well. Of course, Cannon played the ITA All-American, but then was playing Futures the rest of the, the way, and no, he didn't get that Futures title, which he set out as a goal here for this fall, but as you mentioned, just, you know, he was the winningest player on the pro circuit amongst college tennis players. That matters, and, you know, I had a conversation today with 
Dustin Taylor, head coach now for Oklahoma State, a guy who has you know been deeply involved in USTA player development and obviously was the associate head coach for the three-peat Virginia teams 2015 through 2017, knows what it's like to balance players on the college roster with pro aspirations. And he laid it out. It was very simple, but it made a ton of sense just to hear him talk about it in these terms. He says, look, here's our goal for a player in the first three years. And spoiler alert, I apologize, but you know, we want to get them to number 350 in the world so that by the time they're entering their senior year, we can say, hey, look, we, you know, we have developed you. You've gotten that much better. Now we want to make a push to get you to 250 so that by the time you're leaving school in May, you are playing Grand Slam qualifying. You are playing Challenger qualifying or you're getting into Challenger main draws. And Cannon may not be quite there yet. But this was the sort of fall you need to have to prepare yourself for that transition. And that's why I think that's noticeable. Of course, more broadly, unequivocal, the biggest winners of the fall in college tennis were the Ohio State men. Like, I I don't care across genders, across conferences, across whatever you want to point to. They won everywhere, and they won a lot of different titles, you know, and different successes along the way, Jay. Like, how can you look at this Ohio State roster and think anything but national title contender at this point? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, from the pro side, it helps that they hosted the twenty five. Sure, which by and... the way, that's just Ty Tucker being Ty Tucker. Why is he a cut above everyone else? And by the way, I, I apologize to cut you off here, but two things on that note: a, you talk to people around the Ohio State program, they are super excited about this team. They have had a lot of talent filter through Ohio State. There are people who say this is the year we're winning a championship, and they do not say that lightly because it is a very superstitious bunch. That would be part A. Part B, and I say this lovingly, and I, this might be the buzzword, and I'm working on a piece, and I'm hoping to publish it before the start of the season about the top 10 jobs in college tennis. Very frequently, Ohio State is not put on that list, and that's a testament that they are successful as they are to Ty Tucker milking every ounce of the resources available to him at Ohio State. That means multiple challengers. That means bringing in these new ITF results as well. Man's killing it. Like, there's nothing to say other than he has done an exceptional job. Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't just the 25K that they hosted, right? They also host, you know, a challenger there. I mean, Ohio is is, is the hotbed now for some of these pro tournaments, but um, it wasn't on the the Columbus campus. But the WTA 125K, um, that that was yeah. a great event as well. Um, but to your point, what DT said, right? If you want to be 350 when you're in college, you have to have these opportunities, yeah. right? And for someone like Cannon. To be at Ohio State, he did get a win at the um, Columbus Challenger. He, you know, was able to play the 25K there. You need these events to start to build your ranking, and you need them above the 15K level. I mean, you, I looked at the, um, you know, Liam wins back to Liam Draxel wins back to back 15Ks, and which, the, by the way, would that have propelled Kentucky over the top over Ohio State? It would have, uh, right? It would have tied them at least. Okay. Um, the, those two titles alone but i believe yeah. he also made like a quarterfinal before so that would have put them over um i did get a dm about that so uh, yeah. apologies uh to the kentucky team but i had to be fair um yeah, and if course. i were to add draxel and i'd have to go back and look at every 15k and that's a it's a lot of tunisia <laughs> I was gonna say, to anyone who thinks we're biased we had liam draxel on the podcast tuesday like, come on. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah, you want to hear about the yeah. Draxel success? Go hear directly from Draxel. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, so, and actually, I thought, I mean, to, to tie this together, I thought Draxel made a great point around, you know, uh, you asked him a good question. Like, how does the, the 
these how do these events from a level perspective compare to college and spoiler but you should definitely go listen he says college is tougher i how shocking was that it it was surprising yeah I mean, um, it was the candidness i guess i shocking was the wrong word you're right but to just hear him straight up say like nah like futures it's, it's really not that different it's kind of a testament to this article like there's a lot of college players competing at the futures level exactly and i think this is actually a, a an endorsement for college tennis yes. of course yes. right to say like you know this is we're at that level already we have guys who can go out to these events win them make deep runs in them week after week do you want to be doing that on your own mm-hmm. and like trying to find sponsors to help you do that or do you want to be doing that with kind of the resources of these schools and use that as a training ground yes. and then use it as a launching pad when you hit those sort of thresholds that will ensure that you can have a successful um career on the tour so yeah, I mean that was one of the big takeaways from just looking at these results is that the the level is there and that's qualitatively uh, confirmed by by Draxel. Yeah, no, and again to stick with the men here for now, and then we'll transition obviously over to the women. And I'm, again, I'm not going to give away the full ball game. You absolutely need to go read this article because any tidbit of information you are looking for, you will find in this blog post. But it is worth noting again, Kingsley Boyton. Each made two finals, led all players in overall match wins during this time period, 15 and 12 respectively. Now, of course, Liam Draxel, with his success in Cancun, would belong on this list as well. By the way, and I say this lovingly, on the article, I'm looking at it now, it's a photo of Sven Law, not Adrian Boyton. So just a quick note there. I know, sorry. I, we can cut that. Westoff, take that <laughs> out. Um, but um, it's just going to bother me. So now I reminded you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Draxel, Boyton, Kingsley. I would say those are most people's three of their top ten, like three of their top five maybe, players in collegiate tennis this this year. And so to see them have false success, it's really not that surprising. Like I, I would it, – it's just, again, to, to your point about what Liam has said, the best players in college tennis are ready to make that transition and have success at the futures level right away. And I think that's the point DT was trying to make. I think that's yeah. the point, uh, again – that comes across when you look at the results from these players. I also think it's not a surprise at all to see Ohio State with 25 wins for the men, Baylor with 21, Florida with 19. Those are your top three schools. It's almost like, yeah, no duh. Like, those are three of your top five schools in our college contenders' preseason rankings that, you know, I think it was Baylor had five guys on their team earn individual wins. Like, not a surprise at all. The depth for the Baylor Bears stands out. That's what Coach Woodson is trying to build in his program. That's what Florida's trying to build. That's what Ohio State's trying to build. I'm surprised Duarte is in top three on that list as well. He's got to have been close. He's close. I think he's um, – uh, I'll, I'll look him up, but he was – oh, wait, he's in the article. Yeah, he's um, got to be in here. So I was going to say, he must be near the top or, you know, also have yeah, done, he, obviously. He's he's third, but you threw Draxel in. Oh, that's why. So <laughs> yeah. I cut him off. Duh. That's, yeah. That sounds my bad. Yeah. Volley and Draxel are tied when you just look at the U.S. events. Um, uh, they won nine matches each. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, he was excellent. And, you know, again, to break it down, Kentucky, 15 wins. We talked about their depth in our college contenders preview. We talked about the talent they have. Obviously, with you know, you throw in college wins as well that Diallo earned throughout the fall, that, you know, Mercer and whomever yeah. he was playing with, not Musatelli, Mercer and Lapidot earned throughout the fall as well. I know that's doubles, but, yeah, that's why they're really successful. I will say Diallo, this. East Lansing. Yeah, exactly. Two, two schools – Jump out to me, first of all, though, on the men's side, and then we'll move on to the women. Wake Forest, 
11 matches won, four players played. Does that include Henry Squire? Did you throw him on this list? Because I don't think he was competing in America. And so, yeah, yeah that, to no, me, it, that, that, was an, that was an outlier. That stood out. It doesn't include Squire because he was playing uh, internationally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you'll recall Nava made the final of the 25K in Austin. True. Uh, as a qualifier. So shout out to him. That was one of their big results. And then Body made the semifinals of the 25K in Columbus. That's what it was, um, the Taha result. Good call. Exactly. So yeah. Nava and Body, um, you know, uh, both had some good results. And they also played in Ithaca as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where the accumulation came from. And then, of course, Cornell hosts in Ithaca. Mm-hmm. They get seven match wins, four players. I imagine the majority, if not all of them, came at that uh, ITF that they hosted, of course. The interesting one, North Carolina, six wins, one player. That one player may not even be coming back to campus this year, but shout out to you, Rinky Hijikata. Um, you know, again, there's a there's a bunch more nuance. You can go look by individual matches one. You can go look by individual events played. All of these different things available within the article to put the final bow on the men. Any other standout? Any other standout teams? Any absences? I suppose like it. It feels notable to me that Tennessee's not higher on this list because obviously their event is the champ uh, is the Knoxville Challenger. But I'm surprised to not see them a little bit higher. Had you started this in the summer circuit and not in September, without question, Illinois men's tennis would be higher up on this list because every yeah. futures event was held in Champaign, and that's why they're missing from this list. But as I go through our preseason top eight in my head you know Tennessee's the only one really I'm surprised not on this list of names I'm like going through I'm thinking all the teams six five four like Texas I suppose as well a little limited particularly given all the futures events held there but I think that was due to injury yeah um I think that was due to injury right I mean Spiziri did make the semifinals there sure um they had a few other guys Cleve Harper had been competing down in Mexico with Draxel they had some and double success Clement had success just internationally or not Clement, whoever the new guy is. Oh, the uh, at Texas, yeah. Bailey, 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 not Clement. Yeah, he won yeah. the fifteen k, but I think that was that was internationally. Yeah. Um, the the Tennessee thing is interesting. I mean, that's a through line for both college and pro. Yeah. Right. We did not see a bunch of um, you know Tennessee players uh, compete on the collegiate ranks uh, this fall nor did we see them much on on the pro Mm -hmm. uh you know walton and monday both and i believe prada as well played the knoxville challenger Mm -hmm. obviously tough to accumulate wins at that level right now um but yeah that's the the utr event and he won it this past weekend which of course wouldn't have factored in but that's a good win yes exactly so you know they're around um Mm -hmm. you know and i think that comes back to some of the coaches interviews that you've talked about around scheduling just Mm -hmm. an individual player right what does this individual player need do they need to be out on the pro tour so you want to be in college all that sort of stuff yeah and it's also worth noting you know again they were really banged up this fall like you look across the board uh, i mean walton dealt with injuries prada was in a boot for a while and you know, you know what you're getting with HUD. You don't know what you're getting with Mitsui. So, you know, it wasn't a shock to see Mitsui play a ton of college matches this fall right. as opposed to playing futures to kind of, you know, get it, the repetitions under his belt. So I explained that. The UTR other one, events. yeah, the other one worth noting, Antoine Chavink. Chavink, I'm yep. butchering that pronunciation, but he goes to Florida State. I think he's got the highest UTR in all of men's college tennis right now. He yep. is fifth on your list of wins. You know, six matches, one in three total events. You know, Ben Shelton, six. Nava, six. Hijikata, six. It's worth noting that Shelvink, you know, again, with those, he's the number one UTR. You think outlier, why is he up there? Well, that's why, right? 
Yeah, I mean, he came in with the highest UTR, exactly. right? So it's not really much to do with It's his, really just, um, I meant broadly, it's the pro success. It's like, this is a guy who's had plenty of pro success already. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, all yeah. right, well, that's where we're at with the men. Any final takeaways? Yep. Am I missing anything? Obviously, go read the article again, but any other men's outliers? Shout out Stetson. Like, are we going to give them – 13 power, uh, schools had – non-Power 5 schools had both men's and women's players win matches, and Stetson University was the only non-Power 5 school on that list. Yep. Uh, shout out Stetson, man. That's, that's yeah. freaking awesome. Yeah, that was one of the more fun parts about doing this article was kind of finding those hidden gems, um, you know, and Stetson was one of those, and I thought that was a fun stat. You know, there were 21 non-Power 5 uh, who competed, so of the, what is it, of the 64 schools, 21 were non-Power 5, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's pretty good, pretty good numbers there. No, that's freaking awesome. I love to hear that. Well, all right, those are the men's takeaways. Let's hop over to the women's now. Take yep. me in whatever direction you want to go, Jay. Who were the standout performers? Who were the standout schools? Well, it kind of starts and ends with Emma Navarro, <laughs> <laughs> um, which unsurprisingly, NCAA champion. Um, you know, she had a really good fall. I mean, you know, to use some of DT's, uh, you know, thresholds, like she's there, yeah, right? 100%. She's, you know, 230 in the world. Um, you know, she won her first pro title at 25K in Orlando. Um which let's come back to Orlando in a second. Um, she won her first 25, her first title there. Um, you know, she made quali- uh, quarterfinals and round of 16 at several 60 K and 80, 80 K events. Um, so just a really solid fall for her. Um, she obviously didn't play the fall on, on the college side. So stand out for her uh, for sure, but, but no surprise. Um, you know, the one other person, I mean, there are obviously a lot of standouts, but one other person that I had called out here specifically was Alana Smith mm-hmm. of NC State, um, just because she had gotten a few wild cards into kind of the 60K, 80K level, uh, and she had some really good results. Either that was coming through qualifying or winning her first round match. Um, so she made the round of 16 at, I believe it was Macon. Uh, could be wrong about that, but she did make a round of 16 there at an 80K um, so that was definitely one who stuck out. Um, McCartney Kessler, she was top five in the preseason ITA rankings uh, of Florida. She took the fall off to play pro events. Um, she was one. Uh, she was the one player outside of Navarro who made a final. Um, so shout out to her, definitely a standout. Yeah. No. Again, there's. You mentioned it, uh, you know, Anna Hurdle comes over for Georgia. We didn't get to see her, I feel like, play much uh, college tennis uh, this fall, but certainly, you know, three wins for her, you'll take it. I thought Kylie Collins looked good across the board in both the collegiate events, and, you know, she earns three wins now. She plays four different events, so three wins, four events, obviously uh, not a ridiculous amount of success, but I thought enough success to just think, all right, she's ready to take another jump here this fall and or this spring and yeah, it, it, it's really interesting to me. Two schools, I think, stand out in particular on the women's side. Florida, who respectfully, and Coach Thorquist is coming on the pod, I think, early next week. And obviously, we know what Florida historically and early in the 2010s, late aughts, was how they were performing from a team yeah. level. But like, we can also be honest. The Florida women have underperformed the past 40 years. Like, the Florida women have not been the standard that they have been held to. And so it's worth noting on the women's side this year that, again, you know, Florida's able to get five wins. And, yeah, Kessler, I think, is responsible for all of those wins. But, you know, still, again, that they now have that that standout performer has returned. That feels notable. The other one that just you have to mention here, and I know you pointed it out, but, uh, and I, I believe it's in the article, you know, most women's wins. 
Oklahoma had 10 wins, and I know eight of them came on their home courts, and that's why you schedule in Norman. But, A, I know we're both drinking the Cohen Kool-Aid post <laughs> Audra Cohen coming on the Cracked Interviews podcast. But, B, you've been saying this all off season. Like, I cannot emphasize this enough, listeners. If you were to get a sneak peek into what Jay and I talk about before pods begin, I'm not going to say 80%, but, like, 30% of the time you'll go – you know, Oklahoma is going to be really good. And I'll be like, yeah, you're right. Or I will go, hey, Jay, you're right. Like, I've been looking at the Oklahoma roster, and there's a lot to like there. Again, it's a home match, but Oklahoma is going to be really good this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, Oklahoma. to me, to me, it's Oklahoma and Oklahoma State actually are standouts here. Um, you know, and I think that's a byproduct of, of course, having the event in Norman, mm-hmm. but just having a lot of other regional events, right? Mm-hmm. Like, shout out to Oklahoma and Texas, whether it was Lubbock, Norman. They killed it. They killed yeah. it, men's and women's. Exactly, right? Yeah. So that's why you're seeing Texas Tech, Baylor, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Like, that region of the country had a ton of events, and it rewarded their players. Um so yeah, so Oklahoma had a ton of success. Um, whether it was the Corley sisters, uh, Lainey Sleeth, who who transferred from Florida, um, just a lot of good standouts. And then of course you had Oklahoma State uh, freshmen who were competing out there on the pro circuit, whether that was Una Orpana um, or the freshman from Thailand, and also their transfer from Arkansas got a few good wins. Um, so overall, the Oklahoma schools on the women's side definitely crushed it. No, and the other thing, you know, again, you, you pointed out a bunch of Oklahoma State players earning victories as well. It's, you know, it feels worth noting, you know, Elizabeth Scotty gets a couple of wins in the tournament. She plays too, and just, yeah, there are some familiar names, some that are newer that you see having the pro success, and so that was a great thing for us to monitor as well this off season. You know, it would be fascinating if Lulu Sun was coming back, and it really feels like she's not, like how much higher does Texas catapult up this list and you know texas i believe they get six wins for the women which is i want to say third behind virginia and oklahoma state or you know right up there with the best of the best and yeah it just it am i crazy or did it feel like a quiet fall for texas like it felt like we didn't get the big run from you know collins if you're arguing stearns shavatapan collins who had the best fall like you could argue kylie collins right like and not be laughed out of the room and that is a little surprising. Like, I'm not, and I'm not trying to diminish this Texas roster because I still think they're going to be excellent. But you'd think post-NCAA tournament, and Lulu had a bunch of good results, but, like, Peyton would have gone on a run or, like, Charlotte goes on a run, whatever it may be. Felt like we didn't get the big ru- the, that big post-national championship boost run. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree. Before we dive into Texas, we should say Oklahoma State was second by one match to Oklahoma and That's what Virginia it was. there. Yeah. Um, so, so they came in second, um, regarding Texas. Yeah. Quiet fall. Right. Um, I would argue Kylie Collins had the best fall of those three players. Um, you know, maybe she didn't, I will say she really only played kind of the 25 K event. So she didn't play many 15 K. So those wins to me mean a little bit more. They were at a higher level. She did win, uh, two doubles titles, uh, this fall at the 25 K level. She's clearly a you know, NCAA runner up. It's clearly a good doubles player. Um, we did not see much from Peyton Stern. She did play main draw at the WTA 125 in Columbus. But other than that, she wasn't a fixture in the 25Ks. Um, I'm not sure if there were injuries contributing to that. Um, but you kind of expected, at least I did, and we've talked about this when it comes down to the college contenders, uh, a big sophomore jump yes. from a lot of these kind of stellar freshmen. Um, I, ha- I had written earlier this summer about, like, 
I think Charlotte Shabathapon has the skills yes. to be an NCAA singles winner. Mm-hmm. I think she's that talented. Um, and we didn't see that jump really either in the collegiate results or on the pro side. So it, it's, you know, something to watch uh, for sure through the, through the uh, spring. Yeah, and again, are we doubting the Texas women, the defending national champions who bring back the nucleus of a dominant NCAA championship-winning team? Absolutely not. But in terms of, again, other teams stepping up this fall, because clearly Pepperdine's bringing in loads of talent this year. North Carolina, well, unless Cam Mora goes somewhere, seemingly not going anywhere. You're like, yeah, yeah, it's a little tease there. We can talk about that at the end. Um, But, yeah, it's just like, I agree with you that you said it perfectly. You would expect one of these players to make the big sophomore leap the way. And to me, this is the quintessential example. Will Blumberg was the best player in college. You know, he loses twice his freshman year, once during the dual match season, once in the NCAA singles final to Ty Kwiatkowski. The next year, and I'm not trying to be rude to everyone else, but he was so much better than everyone else throughout the course of that 2018 season where it was just kind of like, okay, Will's the guy now. To your point, it feels like Peyton, Kylie, Charlotte, they've all got the talent. And I actually think Kylie is the one who's just got the attitude to be the player to beat. Just again, she's got that edge to her, that FU to her that I think the best ones all have. I'm not saying that Peyton and Charlotte don't. I just think Kylie's got it in spades. And so you're right. I, I would have expected a bigger fall from that group of players. And just, you know, again, whether it's injuries, whether it's just whatever it may be, we didn't quite see that manifest itself this year. That said... You know, it's not a surprise to see the names at the top of the women's list. Maybe Oklahoma State surprises you a little bit, but, you know, they've they've got a lot of talent on the roster, and they do a really good job of scheduling to put their players in opportunities to have this sort of success. So, again, it's a credit to Coach Young what they're building there. He's made his philosophy very clear. He's going to try and get his players all these opportunities. The stats suggest those those opportunities are bearing fruit. So I, I think that's really smart as well. I'm surprised North Carolina only had three matches. I would love to see, and I'm, I'm sorry for giving you a homework assignment here, Jay, but combined college wins and pro wins as well. Because North Carolina only having three women's wins, that just feels, and they're all from Elizabeth Scotty, like that just feels dramatically low. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, right? Like it comes down to scheduling, right? Like sure. we, t- we think about like, Pe- like Pepperdine is nowhere on this list, right? Mm-hmm. And none of us are going like, wow, Pepperdine, where are they, right? Well, well, they just didn't prioritize playing these pro events. They weren't accessible to the region. We've talked about, I think Texas is notable just because the the events were all there, right? There were events in Austin. There were events in Oklahoma. um, There were events at Texas Tech, um, and we just didn't see them taking advantage of those. So North Carolina, you look at Fiona Crawley, you look at Cam Mora, you look at Riley Tran, um, they all played the, the collegiate events, right? So they had success there. Um, it clearly wasn't a priority to kind of go out and play these 15Ks or 25Ks. And I, I think that probably makes sense. You're looking for a big sophomore jump from Crawley uh, and Tran. And so to get those reps, you know, over and over, I think is probably the right move for them. So I'm not that surprised. I'm not sure, thinking back, I'm not sure playing these events in the fall has been a big priority for North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um so, uh, you know, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. 
Yeah, I guess it's just for me, and again, given the success Mora's already had in college tennis, given the success Crawley's had, and, you know, we see Elizabeth Scotty earning victories as well. I just thought, you know, maybe they'd dabble more on the pro circuit this fall. Maybe, you know, some of those players would be ready, but you make a really good point there that given you lose that nucleus, Davitella, Graham, Jones, you want to get a bunch of college reps in, just get everyone comfortable moving forward. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I think it's worth noting. I feel like you know, Chloe Beck, Georgia Drummy, Kelly Chen, like I would have expected maybe them to play a bit more pro tennis. I think Duke gets two wins here. Uh, and obviously, you know, again, I just feel like that number's a little low. I, I can't explain it. I'm just shocked the way Winston-Salem puts forward all these pro events for the men in that Carolina region. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised there's, for lack of a better term, no sugar daddy so, you know, no sugar daddy school for the women's side where it's just like, hey, we're going to be providing all the pro tournaments here in this Carolina region. Don't worry about it. And like Georgia doesn't do it. South Carolina doesn't do it. North Carolina. I think NC State does a really good hidden dual event or uh, invitational that draws a lot of really good collegiate schools. That's not a pro event. But I'm surprised there's not just a big, you know, Raleigh 25K. Well, there is. It's called Charleston, oh, right? Duh, duh, like, duh, 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 duh. But that's in the fall. I guess I'm surprised they don't do not, more in the fall, and as opposed to the spring. I think that's. I think that's totally fair, right? Like yeah. that hub is there. Yeah. Um, it is Charleston. Um, Very good call. I can't but, believe I blanked out. There. Yeah, but it, you're right. It's just not not present in the fall. Um, you know, the ones that you see in the fall are centered in South Carolina, whether that be Hilton Head or Florence. Um, but certainly there could be more events in that region, which, um. Again, you know, you've talked to these college coaches in the fall, like managing the, the the travel schedule is difficult. So I can just imagine, you know, to travel with one or two players to a 15K in Lubbock, pretty difficult to do from kind of the, the Atlantic coast. So uh, maybe if there were more events there, and that was the one Scotty played, she played one in South Carolina. Um, so maybe it's really more about accessibility. Maybe. What do you do? You put the Charlotte, uh, the Charleston 25Ks, which are all around the big event as well. The thing is, they have all the setup for the big event, so they're like, let's just keep playing. Like, let's keep the facility open for a couple weeks longer. And that actually makes a ton of sense logistically. And, like, I'm not going to be the one to tell Ben Navarro how to spend his money because clearly he knows what he's freaking doing. Um, but... Yeah, like, it, it is just surprising that there's no base there. You're right, that the, the Charleston 25K circuit doesn't exist in the fall. That, that It's just a, it's a little surprising. Yeah, well, let me zag on this. Um, Ooh, good, good, good. <laughs> uh, I will say, because I do think um, it, Charleston is also hosting, like, the larger events, too, yeah, right? They actually host true. WTAs. 125s, 250s, right? Yeah. Right, so, like. Might, that could be their priority. Sure. Um, they want more points for Emma. Um, <laughs> uh, but let me zag on you because the hub for that should be Orlando. Okay, it here is, we go. It you is, said we're getting back to Orlando. Is this us getting this back is to what it? I, this is what I meant. Okay, good. Um, and, and I, you know, you can search JT Tweets Tennis Orlando. I did actually a lot of research on this earlier uh, this fall around just the lack of playing opportunities in Orlando. I mentioned Emma Navarro winning her 25K there. That was one of two 25Ks that they hosted the entire year. They hosted one challenger. You, they, I cannot think of a good reason why there isn't more 15Ks and more 25Ks kind of continually always on in Orlando. If that is going to be the home of U.S. tennis, that should be where these pockets uh rise up it is a training base for so many of the u.s pros uh the courts are there there are 100 courts uh you look at these other countries who are doing it very successfully 
Um, I think that needs to be a priority for the USTA, and it would really advantage a lot of these collegians who could to do a training block there during the fall. You nailed it. I know they play hidden events there for wild cards in the summer. Turn the cameras on. Like, are you kidding me? Let us watch. I agree with you. It's like the, the, the best hidden tournaments in the world happen that fall. And like, ask anyone in those circles how good J.J. Wolf looked during that time. Or ask them, you know, the jumps. Like, everyone says two people really stood out this fall. Obviously, Ben Shelton, and we saw that result manifest itself yeah. on the pro circuit on the men's side. But like, they'd say Steph Dostin. They're like, when he was healthy, oh man, was he playing good this summer. It's just like, show us. Show us. Put it in your right. Like, you have... The entire collegiate center. You have all of these. You've got green clay. You've got hard courts. You've got everything at your disposal. This is supposed to be the hub of American tennis. And look, if the money was there, I'm sure they would do it more frequently. And that's the dirty secret is right now you go look at the USTA finances. It's not exactly the best it's ever been. Um, But to your point, make it the Orlando series. Make it the Orlando circuit. Give some investment for fans. And again, consistency is always the key. You can't just do it one-off. You can't do it, we're going to have one four weeks from now, and then we're going to have one 13 weeks from now, and these random occasions. Let us know, hey, and if you tell these coaches in advance, look, we're playing pro events in Orlando all November. Get your kids signed up because otherwise they're not going to be able to get in, and this is the best opportunity. You nailed it. Going to be the home for American tennis. Be the home for American tennis. You know, double down on this Orlando series, and that's not to say it's not coming in the future. But I completely agree with you. It's just like, yeah, it's great. All these college campuses are hosting events. They don't have to use competitive dates. It's right on their home, you know, courts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the place to do, you know, it should never. There should never be a decrease in the amount of pro opportunities available in a country, or ideally, particularly in a country like the United States. And with the availability of Orlando, with the lack of COVID regulations in Florida, let's just be honest here, you could host events whenever. Like you nailed it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no so. zag available. Is the problem? It's like I disagree. <laughs> they shouldn't host it in Orlando. It's like no, you're you nailed it. Like they absolutely should. Yeah, and that came through. I mean, I mentioned kind of a, a, a fire tweet storm I did. The thread? This year. Oh, I remember the thread. Yeah, the thread. Um, but that came across doing this as well. It's just like, you know, there's just no opportunities coming from, like, the USTA. And I, I'm not saying take any of these opportunities away from college campuses. Keep them all, mm-hmm. right? But but add them. Yeah. Um, and I think that gives you kind of that uh, tournament focus in, in certain regional areas that you're – Potentially looking for this is not a Charmin ultra soft situation less is not more more is more like I agree yeah. with you you know it's better than Absolutely. 14 tournaments 18 tournaments if it's better yep. than 18 22 tournaments and so to yep. your point I completely agree now you know to talk about the women's side and put a bow on this conversation Pepperdine opting to play no pro you know, really not play many pro events and they played plenty of college matches like Lisa Czar Got, you know, I will say this to five top 40 players in the ITA rankings. And the ITA yeah. December rankings are a reflection of who had the most college success in the fall. Good strategy, bad strategy by Pepperdine, in your opinion. I mean, obviously, we won't find out till May, but is that the approach you would have taken, Jay? Um, I think it's tough to say. I think the one, one takeaway that I've gotten from the co- – not to kind of split, you know, split the difference here, but one of the things I've heard from these coaches is the fall is really about tailoring it to the individuals. Yeah. And so it's tough for us to say what these players need. Someone like Lisa Czar 
I think it's awesome that she was able to get all of these wins in the fall. She's now super confident going into the spring. Would that have happened had she bifurcated her schedule and played some 25Ks? Like, probably not. The other thing is you look at the events in California. One, there aren't many. Two, they're at a much higher level. You're talking a 60, 80K. So it's just difficult to get in. So do you travel to Lubbock or do you play kind of the ITA regional? I think it's a great opportunity to play um, to play those events. The other thing is that, you know, they have, you know, two new players in Janice Chen and Vicky Flores who are transfers. I think it's probably really important to have those players on campus this fall, particularly they also bring in freshman Savannah Brodus. Like that also goes a long way, right? Like to use your quote, right? Like the teams that love each other the most win the title at the end of the year. And it's probably a little bit tougher to love each other if you don't see each other. They say absence makes the heart grow fonder, but maybe not in this case. Um, And so I think there's probably a lot of benefit to keeping the team whole uh, during the fall, particularly given the dynamics. Yeah, and to, for the record, and I'm only as wise as the last coach I interviewed, clearly, that's where my brain is just at at this point of the year, but you know, just you know, that's a Brian Boland quote, just so everyone is clear. I wish it was my quote. It's not. It's a Boland quote, but I had the same discussion with Dustin Taylor here today, and his philosophy was like, we do not care about the tennis this fall. It was like, yeah, of course we cared about the tennis. But we need. We have nine new students on the roster, and we had one returner, so it's all new teammates to each other. He's yep. like, we just wanted to see one another. We wanted to right. learn each other. We wanted to build a culture, just establish some sort of semblance of a team because totally. all these guys, it's like having 10 freshmen. And, yeah, they, they we're less worried about the tennis with these guys than we are with getting the camaraderie together. And yep. I agree with you. I like to your point about Pepperdine and Pear, Janice Chen's a new face. Vicky Flores is a new face. Lisa Zar and Patch Kaleva and all these players aren't exactly veterans. Savannah Brodus, no. new face yeah. as well. Makes a ton of sense that yeah. they would try something new, uh, that they would that they would stick together on campus and, again, try to build that chemistry, try to see what they have and try to make that work because they know they're going to have the successful results. It's just about making sure the chemistry is intact as well. With all that said, you know, uh, I'm sure Simon Earnshaw is going to get mad at us that we did. I'm sure NC State did something that we're not mentioning here. Yeah, uh, I know Alana you mentioned Smith. Yeah, Smith, she's in the article. If you could, if Anna Rogers still counted, NC State would be first. Uh, well, well, actually, no. All of her stuff was in Cancun, wasn't it? And yeah. so, so maybe not. I was going to say, if you add in um, uh, Adriana Riemi, yeah. she'd play a little bit more in the U.S. Um, so I mean, they would have been up there. But yeah, yeah I, I did have some some special requests. Yeah, um, I'm sure I, was, I couldn't accommodate. Yeah, so again, with that in mind, final words go to you. Did we miss anything here? I feel like I again, I'm, I want to give you a platform because your article this is again what everyone is looking for. I get, that'll be my last point, but I want to I want to hear any final thoughts on this. Well, I mean, my final thoughts actually a plea, um, <laughs> and that is to uh, Universal Tennis to uh. Chris and Shannon. Um, you know, this this is all manual data, but it doesn't have to be. Um, and that's actually kind of to bring this back to what we were talking about, uh, with the impetus behind it, is there just isn't a platform right now that brings all of these results together um, in a way that you can kind of do the splicing to produce some of these results, right? A company like Universal Tennis does have all of the um, results across levels. They have the collegiate roster data. Mm-hmm. This is something that could be done on their website, um, right? So uh, it's more of a plea, right, to say that, sure. like, I'm hoping that this is kind of the the genesis to say, like, 
this sort of thing is is interesting and we want to be able to more easily track collegians on tour and mm-hmm. right now there is no way to do that other than what and, i did this past fall and that's why you're a saint jay and that's what i was going to bring up as well is just look this shouldn't be that difficult and of course for the ita who's trying to do a million different things and they have a database of players but you're right like respectfully this is probably something you outsource to the chris Hallioris's, the shannons of the world the as you mentioned i'm the next time i talk to nina pantic i'm a thousand percent going to bring that up because it does feel like the perfect market for universal or the perfect project for universal tennis who already has all the data and yes you can go to there see who's got the highest roster see who's got the highest utr by collegiate player but you want to get college fans invested in your product have the collegians on tour constant marker show me who the highest exactly. are. show me what the yep. most recent results are what does the movement look like week over week i'm sure you've got programmers who will say yeah give me 20 minutes and you'll have everything you need because to your point the data is already available it's just about right weaving that data together integrating it all and that's what for the computer nerds and so yeah yeah. the one other thing i I totally agree with that i would love to see that happen again the hardest part is the data Mm -hmm. so they've already solved that part right this is that's that's what i'm saying is it's like they did the hard part they have the the hard part exactly you have the data we just need to show it in a different way in a way that's not one-off right i don't want to have to look up an individual player i want to see the results collectively um, so if they need anyone to, to help help them on that project, I'm here. Um, and then the other thing I would say is let's market these results more, right? Whether that, so whether that is the ITA, whether that is universal tennis, um, I think there could be more of a leaning into these results and kind of what they mean. I think it's a, a huge accomplishment for a lot of these players to get their first ATP point or their first WTA point. Um, and I get that it might be difficult to kind of, for your average fan to wrap their head around but i think you want to be continuing to promote the success of collegians and it doesn't seem like everyone is fully leaning into what that looks like and hopefully something like universal tennis could make that a lot easier to do Mm -hmm. um because i think something like this should be something that we we showcase year-round yeah no absolutely and look i mean you can go back to parsa doing his new career highs or top collegian tweets and like you know, obviously Colette tries to follow all of this as closely as possible as she can for zoo tennis, but it's really, yep. really difficult because, you know, again, you're going to see a player. Who is the one player that shocked you the most that was on a college roster? Was there anyone who you're like, I have never heard of this man or woman before? Uh, there were uh, several. Um, <laughs> but the one that is sticking out to me, and I'll, I'll pull up her name just so it is uh, – I think she's from Israel. Okay. Her name is Tamara Barad Isaki. Sure. Um, and she's on the Virginia Tech roster. Okay. Uh, so she played at both the, the Lubbock and Norman. She made the semifinals of the Norman one. And that one was like, that was shocking to me. Yeah. Um, also, because I feel like that's in a region that maybe yeah. I follow closely. I yeah. was like, never heard of this name. But yeah, there were a lot. And so I actually hope that. Um, you know, this was able to bring at least the weekly articles as well, where I do showcase, you know, where I was showcasing everyone who did win. Everyone got some sort of shout out, maybe not in the recap, but at least in the weekly. So, yeah, there were a lot of good results. No, and again, you're a godsend for doing this, Jay. So no ad 
no problem, no-add, noproblem.blogspot.com. You can find collegians on the U.S. Pro Circuit, fall results. Again, all of it compiled. More stats we haven't even mentioned yet on this podcast available there. Of course, you can read Jay Weekly there as well. You can read him on our Crack Rackets website as well as he breaks down our top 10 women's teams heading into the 2022 season. With all that said, I hope some listeners didn't tune out immediately after the intro because I have felt incredibly rude since that moment. I didn't ask. Give me your Christmas plans. How does John Parsons kick back and enjoy himself the end of the year? Uh, well, I'll be in, in Hawaii, okay, so beautiful. I need a good uh, I need a good backlog of the coaches' interviews to come out. I don't know what the schedule is, but I'm sort of caught up. So keep me fed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a a, a nice week there. Um, and you know, other than that, we're just kind of staying local for the holidays. I recorded Matt Roberts and Dustin Taylor today. I've got many a coaches not to be named on Monday, Tuesday. I told my parents, I was like, Tuesday, you're not going to see me. I was like, I love you both. I'm here. I'm still working. As Jay said, I'm still pursuing my passion. Um, <laughs> but I was like, you're not going to see me because I have six interviews scheduled that day because, you know, I got to crank them out for Jay who wants to listen beachside in Hawaii. And, and my mom goes, oh, you're going to love this. She'll hear this. She goes, oh, my God, Jay does listen. She's like, I'm so happy that there's someone on a beach listening, Alex. She's like, you are making his day. I was like, mom, he's a contributor now i don't think i'm making his day like the the veneer is shattered once you've seen my face and you've done these podcasts with me but <laughs> yeah no fair. i yeah but um again hoping you enjoy your holiday season and i hoping you know you gave us a gift with this article so if you are listening to this podcast go read no ad no problem and of course you can hear jay on the great shot podcast you can read his work crackrackets.com various platforms follow him at Jay Tweets Tennis. Of course, this is not the final podcast of the 2021 year. We've still got plenty of off-season coverage to come. I will tell you this. I'm recording next-gen tiers with Gil Gross. We haven't done a tiers podcast in quite a bit of time. Very excited to do that. Going to do an equivalent on the women's side with a guest to be named later, mostly because I've offered this exercise to people. Unless you've done the tiers pod a billion times, they're like, I don't get it. What is this exercise? And so I just got to find the right guest, but we'll lock those in. Those will be your gifts next week of course college coaching interview is going to continue next monday as well we are giving super producer daniel west off the christmas weekend off because i don't think he's had a vacation since he left his old job back in 2018 for cracked racket so of course again if the podcast slowed down a bit over the next couple of days we do apologize do people need a christmas distraction do you want us to drop the hour and a half dt pod on saturday like is that what people are looking for jay i'm as you know i'm I'm Jewish. So, you know, I still like, I found out two years ago that Christmas is December. I always, I'm like, when's Christmas? I know it's mid, they're like, you know, it's always December 25th. It's a freaking birthday. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that checks out. And so is that, should we drop a little Christmas surprise? Uh, well, did you like my tweet? I said, if you need any distractions from family members, like <laughs> yeah. Cracked Rackets has you totally covered. Um, you know, I don't know. I think, you, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for content. I think the DT pod is going to make an impact. Um, and so you might save that for the after Christmas uh, crew. I don't mean to be rude because they're all really good. But, oh, my God, is the DT pod good? I just have – because there was one point where I asked him about a specific practice rivalry, and he goes, 
man, you really did do your research. And I was like, yeah, and I'm like, this is my team. I was like, you, you don't understand. I was like, I could do two hours of just Virginia questions, but I was like, we have to make the first 45 minutes about Oklahoma State because that's your job now. Um, but, no, it, it was a fantastic podcast. They're all fantastic, so go find them all. Power 5 Coaches at the Cracked Interviews Podcast. You can find them on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at GreatShotPod, a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an any job he does day in day out a shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point go check out our holiday edition of Tennis Point Tuesday check out all of their latest items at tennis-point.com use that promo code CR15 15% off your order free two day shipping on all orders exceeding $75 best of all a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls MidwestSports.com just kidding tennis-point.com see sometimes it happens the promo code is CR15 with all that in mind Jay any final thoughts before we wrap today's show happy holidays to the CR listeners lots more to come and um glad i made my mini break debut yeah it is a pleasure to have you with that said then for my fantastic co-host john parsons our super producers fligner and westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast i'm your host alex gruskin jay what do we tell the people hey that's the break and and merry christmas to you all we will talk to you all on monday thanks everyone 